0: Welcome back. I'm Ambreen Khan, and you're listening to Inspired by Interfaith Voices. We're now joined by my next guest, Jonathan Rosh. Welcome to the program.
1: It's my privilege.
0: Jonathan, take a moment and tell me where you are in the world and what you are kind of working on.
1: I'm a journalist by profession and write and think about a lot of things here at my my little perch at the Brookings Institution. And at the moment, the main thing I'm working on is a book and several lectures on the growing tensions between evangelical Christianity and liberal democracy, because I don't think either of those functions very well if it's divorced from the other. So I'm trying to figure that out.
0: And that sounds like something that has you in conversation with lots of different folks across the ideological and religious spectrum.
1: Yes. I recently came back from a conference where I interviewed rabbis about the problems they're finding in their congregations. It turns out evangelicals are not alone, but of Mm -hmm. course, pastors. Um, And I've been spending a lot of time learning about The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, and their very different methods of going about spiritual formation and their very different attitude toward civic culture.
0: Mm. I imagine service and mission is a big chunk of that.
1: Well, it's some of it, but more specifically, they have made a commitment in the church to advance the cause of what they call patience, negotiation, and compromise. They're looking for ways to turn down the heat of the culture wars and then looking for ways that they can compromise that don't compromise on their religious values but do find ways to, um, to coexist with others in a pluralistic society. And that's, that's a different, more constructive, and less fearful way to approach the issues uh, than we're seeing in the evangelical world.
0: Mm. What got you interested in this work?
1: Well, I've been for over 30 years now writing about liberal democracy um, and different kinds of challenges and threats ranging from free speech to instability in the government or sclerosis in the government. And I came to realize, you know, I guess I was a little late to the party. But eventually, it finally dawned on me that liberal societies are not self-sustaining. They have to stand on a foundation, a substrate of values, and that they rely to a large extent on religions to provide those values and do that work. And in America, that means predominantly Christianity. And then I started looking around and seeing the ennui and Collapse of faith in institutions and cultural hostility in America, and thought, well, some of this seems to be people translating the axes so that religion is taking on a almost political, a politicization, and politics is becoming a lot of people's religion, and that means that neither politics or religion is really working as well as it should. I came to realize that I couldn't figure out the problems of liberal democracy without also um, getting out my my shovel and starting to dig into the the issues around uh, American Christianity and especially conservative white Christianity.
0: Now, I understand you don't have a background personally in Christianity. Has that been a challenge for you?
1: Well, it's certainly a challenge. Yeah, I'm an atheistic homosexual Jew, My biggest commitment um, as a writer and thinker has been to legalizing same-sex marriage, a 20-year campaign of which I was one of the intellectual leaders. I have tried at certain points when I was much younger to believe in God but never succeeded. Um, And, of course, I'm gay. And so I grew up being told by... People of faith that I was, you know, a stench in God's nostrils; that I was undermining the family; that there was something terrible and sinful and shameful about me. So yes, I'm, I'm very much an outsider. And there was a time twenty years ago I wrote an article for the Atlantic celebrating what I called apathyism, you know, a pun on atheism and apathy. Mm-hmm. And that's the idea. You know, Americans just don't care as much about religion as anymore. It's getting more like Scandinavia around here. You know, it just doesn't matter, and that's a good thing. Takes the temperature down. Well, boy, was I wrong. It, It turns out that as people drifted away from organized religion, they transplanted a lot of that need for meaning and purpose and spiritual values into a lot of other things, secular parts of life like politics, that really can't do the same job. So, yeah, I'm very much an outsider, but I'm an outsider who's a convert to the idea that we outsiders need to start paying attention to the ailments of religion and especially Christianity if we want to maintain stability and health in our own secular world. Mm.
0: Well, in all of this work, you developed a relationship, a friendship with Pastor Timothy Keller, and we he recently left this world after a three-year battle with pancreatic cancer, and you penned a beautiful kind of reflection about your friendship for the Religion News Service, and I wanted to talk with you a little bit about that today. I'd love to. How did you meet uh, Pastor Tim?
1: The very first time, and Ironically, the only time I ever met him in person was, I don't know, seven or eight years ago, maybe, at a, a small dinner in Washington, D.C., that brought together some gay rights activists and some uh, Christian leaders to think about trying to reduce the tension over gay rights and religious liberty. And he was there. He was, and I remember thinking, what a thoughtful guy you know he despite what he said he had charisma and he had that that big high domed head and he was a man of imposing physical stature and that gravelly baritone voice but he didn't dominate the room uh he was very humble he listened and and made a good impression um and then years later when the pandemic started um i was one of some people who just kind of informally to keep ourselves sane Started a weekly discussion group on Zoom that was mostly centered on topics of, of religion and spirituality and how they intersect with American public and political life. And, and Tim became a, f- a frequent attendee, and I got to know him that way um, through conversations with him and others about everything from the Bible and the structure of churches to what's happening in culture and society
0: as the world says goodbye to him, what have we lost?
1: Well, we lost him. I may get emotional. Um, We lose someone who, to me, lived and exemplified the kind of Christian that I would be if I could be a Christian. Mm. Um, We lose someone who is deeply knowledgeable, knowledgeable, Intensely curious about other people, always learning, just always learning. He seemed to know about every corner of religious life, and he could summon up references going back to the 16th and 17th centuries. Yet he wore that learning lightly, and he always applied it in the service of conversation that was directed about helping people think things through and helping Become a better Christian. I never heard literally, I never heard a word of anger or contempt or fear from him, even though he was a target of some amount of public abuse and disdain. Because it wasn't even that he had a thick skin, he just didn't seem to care. His eyes were fixed on the next world. And that's for me, that's very hard to comprehend because I don't think that there is a next world. Mm. Yet, to see someone whose life was so so completely immersed in spiritual values and whose Christianity seemed so deeply considered and sincere, um, it, it revived my faith in the power of faith and what a good thing faith can be to those who are blessed with it.
0: very heartfelt reflection, particularly given your own spiritual identity in this world.
1: Well, you know, my training is as a journalist. And the first thing I learned at my first job as a newspaper reporter was everyone has a story to tell. And my job is to get it. My job is to find it. And he had that same approach. Um, Tim never never pushed himself at you. He never lectured or hectored. He never made me feel there was anything wrong with me, even though, you know, I'm my values, my worldview is parsecs different from his, and that became something that I began to feel is is a form of love. Um, I was. Not able to experience the world, the spiritual world that he lives in. But he was able to give me glimpses into it. You know these moments sometimes when a window opens and a bit of landscape flashes by? Yeah. And it's gone almost before you see it, but it registers. And then you know it was there. So he was able to do that for me with with Christianity and that was a real gift.
0: It's a gift, especially in the days that that we're living in.
1: Yes. Well, part of the the, the blessing of all this wasn't just him; it's that I was able to encounter someone like him because there's so few opportunities now in American life to really dwell with someone. Whose politics and whose worldview and whose whole approach to life are very different from your own. But now, in the online age and with with workplaces and neighborhoods all politically segregated and, you know, they're conservative churches and liberal churches, it's really hard to find these opportunities to really sit with someone who is so different, yet so human. And I think we both cherish that.
0: And it sounds like it was a relationship that has influenced you shaped you and one that you'll carry forward in the work that oh, you're yeah. doing
1: yeah I'll miss him every day but the part of me that was shaped by him will be there every day
0: Jonathan Rausch thank you so much for sharing and for joining me to reflect on the life and the legacy of Pastor Timothy Keller
1: Well, thank you. And if it's not too cute, I will say that every atheist should have a pastor, and Tim Keller was mine.
0: Jonathan Rausch is a senior fellow in the Governance Studies program at the Brookings Institute in Washington, D.C. He's the author of eight books and several articles on public policy culture and government. His editorial published in the Religion News Service, Remembering His Relationship with Rev. Timothy Keller can be found in this week's episode show notes at interfaithradio.org. Coming up, we're going to revisit my interview with Rev. Keller talking about his last book, Forgive, Why Should I and How Can I? published by Viking in November 2022. You're listening to Inspired by Interfaith Voices. We'll be back after this short break. Stay with us.